0: It's more than a philosophy, more than a psychology, more than just an ecology, bigger than biology, larger than anthropology, brushes against astrology, that's graphicology.
1: Praise the Lord, and I'm Master Prophecy, Bernard. Join your most trusted name of pro- prophecy. We're doing a podcast today that is also happening live at the moment that we're doing it. But I'm glad to have a friend and a colleague and a fellow member of the college. I almost said prophetic college, um, um, but you know. There will be a prophetic yeah, college of bishops, you know, and we're, and we're just going to talk, amen. And I'm prophet, Deborah. You know, we're going to be blessed. We're so blessed yes. today to have this man of God with us. And um, this is Bishop Jonathan Alvarado. How are you doing?
2: I am well, man my best It's good to see you. Man, with you. Your man.
1: man is good. We're excited. We did this. I'm, I'm in your city. Absolutely. And thank you for just at the last minute just coming coming by. Oh, man. So um, I want to talk for a moment. Um, well, first of all, let's tell the people how they can find you on the Internet. For those that would say, well, who is this guy? Let me look him up. <laughs> Amen. Because uh, uh, I, I didn't do a proper outread of an introduction and stuff. Because he's like family here and he's been on a sure. one or two other sure. podcasts before. But tell them how they can find you and tell us the name your church and um, what got you into ministry. Sure.
2: I'm Bishop Jonathan Alvarado, and I am really, really pleased to be here with you. I'm glad you're in our city. You're gracing our city with your presence. I think sometimes people underestimate prophetic presence in a city. Mm. Uh, And so I'm grateful for your presence here, and uh, I can be uh, reached at jonathanalvarado.com. My name is spelled J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N. Alvarado is A-L-V-A-R-A-D-O dot com. That's my website, and everything that I do is attached to my personal website. Grace Church International is where I serve as establishmentarian and senior pastor, along with my wife, Dr. Tony Alvarado. We've served that congregation for the last 28 years, and uh, uh, by God, uh, 29 years, and by God's grace, uh, the Lord has continued to give us favor and grace. Um, I uh, serve as the president and professor of theology of the Greater Atlanta Theological Seminary which is our church-based seminary, does a lot of the training of our ministry gifts, and then I also facilitate the training of Afro-Pentecostal Episcopates, uh, and then I teach at a couple of of seminaries and universities. You know, back at Southeastern University, I oversee doctoral students and and, a local community college here teaching humanities and things of that nature. And so, uh, but I'm glad glad to be here with you and glad you're in our city.
1: Listen, let's give another hand for uh, Bishop Jonathan Alvarado. Uh let's talk for a moment about the importance of Pentecostalism. Sure. And it there seems to be a um what is a, it's um a renaissance mm-hmm. of Pentecostalism and education are starting to happen now. Not that there was not always education happening, but I'm seemingly hearing it more, but it's almost like, you know, when I got my first, when I first got my Mercedes Benz, it wasn't a lot of Mercedes Benz i seen, but when I got my first one also, I saw Mercedes Benzes sure. everywhere, right? did it seemed to be more common. But are you seeing more Pentecostals beginning to be very much interested in academia?
2: I'm not certain that I'm seeing more interested in academia but what I'm hearing, though, is the outcry of the people with the problems, challenges, and difficulties of the 21st century and particularly 21st century post-COVID world. Um, the circumstances are demanding a more highly educated, more highly engaged, a more critically involved clergy. And so, we're probably, you and I, probably represent the third wave of Pentecostal scholarship. And when I say scholarship, I mean persons that have invested themselves in uh, a professional academic rigors because there's a lot of ways to be educated for ministry as you know. Um, and I'm not in any wise slighting or diminishing other uh, methods, uh, apprenticeships, uh, OJT, Uh, the school of hang around, the school of hard knocks. These are all ways in which people come into viable ministerial stations. But what I am seeing, and what has been my challenge uh, and my burden, rather, for the body of Christ, particularly as a Pentecostal scholar, pastor, is is the the challenge of clergymen and women approaching 21st century complexities Mm. with 19th and 20th century dogmas,
1: Mm. Whoa! Hold on! Hold on! Hold on! Hold on! Hold on! Hold uh, on! Prophet Deborah, I mean, uh, we, we're gonna keep our bed busy today. We, yes. We, I think Obed's probably gonna say next time I bring four cameras with a it. <laughs> uh, uh, what do you think about this, Prophet Deborah? Because I mean, you're getting ready to go back into seminary yourself, but he says 21st century complexities, but using almost 20th century. And in God. some cases, nineteenth century. Yes, we talked about. What do you say about that Prophet? I,
0: I think it's um, very a very powerful statement that the man of God has made, and mm-hmm. um, it is so true. And I believe in the season and the time that we're in, and even the time of this broadcast mm-hmm. being done, is that God is moving by His Spirit, and it is time for. Since we talk about Pentecostalism, for the Pentecostals began to awaken, uh, awake thou yes, that sleepeth. Yes, and and it's time for us to awaken out of our slumber, out of our sleep. And and what my mother always taught me, she said, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, that's and, and expecting a different result, that's insanity. So if you're going to do something, the same old, same old. You cannot keep expecting that, oh, something's going to change. I did it a hundred times. Something different is going to happen. No, you got to shift. And I believe that we're in a season and a time of the shift where things are going to shift and stuff. We cannot keep doing the same old thing and expect that we're going to get the same old result or different result. It's time for the shift. we got to do something different.
1: So we were doing a panel with... She, and Bishop Eva Plunder says something so powerful. She's an incredible mind. Yes. Oh, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh she's going to be coming to us. But she shared how we've given God our mind, we've given God our voice, we've given God our heart. You know, even speech about out of our belly flow rivers of living water. Right. But she says, below the navel to the knees, that part we haven't given God. We don't right. believe God made that. Right. And she was dealing with the whole aspect of human sexuality. Yes. And, 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 you know, she made people think because <laughs> she says, people talk to her about marriage, says, I believe in a biblical marriage. And she says, no, you don't. And she says, yes, we do marriage the way the Bible says. And she pointed out that if you did marriage the Bible way, then that means that your uh-huh. father will take you and have to offer, um, and there would be a dowry. And if you were not kept intact where your family was intact, they took you back to your father's house. Right. right. So when you think about it, this is some of the dogmas that we oh, live. Absolutely. 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 What would you say about this? I mean, uh, this is. This where do I begin? <laughs> How long do we have? I mean, First
2: of all, um, uh, I thought we were friends, and for you to make me comment on something after Yvette Thunder has already addressed. <laughs> Yes, that you and I, and we're not as friends, as I thought we were, <laughs> because Yvette Flunder is one of the most prolific minds uh, yes, that, that I have uh, engaged in this 21st century work. Um, her, uh, And so I, I don't want to comment. I, I didn't hear her comment, right, right, I right. She comments. right, uh, right. her comments that she's made and her her pretty protracted diatribe that she's offered uh, in terms of that. My thought is this. Number one, human sexuality is complex. Mm-hmm. Yes, I it think is. that part of the challenge in the contemporary society is that, in particular, in the contemporary church, is that we are approaching human sexuality uh, as the one dirty thing that God lets us do that it really still doesn't like. So it's like God turns his head and says, okay, y'all go ahead and when y'all get done, let me know. Wow. As, you know, and so, and so I think that part of it is that we have not engaged in the intellectual rigor, nor have, do we have the intellectual and perhaps the spiritual scaffolding to be able to attain into the heights necessary to see into the hurt, the hearts, the emptiness, the brokenness that... Um, That is oftentimes filled with relationships, and oftentimes those relationships evolve into relationships of sex and sexuality. Isaiah chapter 56 talks about the eunuch and the eunuch having
1: a place in the economy of God. You know, now see, okay, okay. Let me let let me let me breathe for a moment. Let me just breathe for a moment because I know you. I I don't know where you're going because I I was just talking with. Cast a hat about the eunuch, and we were dealing with this last night on the podcast. So I'm gonna take a deep breath for a moment because um, I, I just sense prophetically that you're getting ready to open up something that's gonna give me a brain cramp. So I just gotta <laughs> get my mind ready. And for those of you that are watching, you need to call a friend, call a neighbor, and tell them to get in on this conversation, because once your mind been expanded intellectually, it can't go back to the size it once was at. Sure. And what I love about, uh, you know, Bishop McKinley used to say, theology should always create an argument in the pew. Mm. And mm. if you don't create an argument... Wow. With the audience, they, 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 should let, they should be left arguing yes. and thinking, or wow, something wow, wow. radically just. And, and you and you're doing it because you're a theologian. I mean, you're a theologian. You're a man, not only of letters, but you're a um, you are you are a um, you're, you're, you're 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 a thought leader, and that's why I love talking to you because every time I leave from you, it's always something that you leave me with. To wrestle with in my head. And I and I and I love it. It's like a mental stimulation. And i and because I'm so sapiosexual, it just knowledge just kind of turns me on anyway. I, I, just, I just I just I just I just love, I, just and here's love. The thing, I,
2: think, I think that so much of our of our humanity is expressed in these kind of terminologies that you have given. I also think that the intellectual love of God is one of the areas that we have left out. Mm. in spiritual development.
1: The intellectual love of God. Okay. That's exactly right. Okay, hold a, on. Let me just write this down. So you, intellectual love of God. Now, before you go to the intellectual love of God, because I don't want to, to take away your thought, go ahead about the eunuch. You was going to say something about the eunuch. Okay,
2: so when Isaiah addresses it, the, he addresses the eunuch as having an honored place in the economy of God. The eunuch for Jonathan Alvarado is one who is ultimately sexually broken. I'm not talking about an individual, and I'm not talking about a particular group, because all of us, in one way or another, are sexually broken. And as a matter of fact, most of us in this culture learn sex in sin. Mm. And so our orientation to human sexuality is, whoa, is that? started off in brokenness. Mm. So there's redemptive hope and prophetic hope, mind you, in Isaiah, concerning the brokenness of the eunuch and God's redemptive plan to bring that broken sexuality, that broken sense of of humanity. I think that um, we read Paul through Augustinian lenses, and so when we see Paul say stuff like, in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing, we we have not discerned the Greek underpinnings of Sarkikos and what it means to be the spirit of the flesh. Mm -hmm. And the the enemy of God is not the the physical flesh, but it's the spirit of the flesh that wars against God for dominance. But Mm -hmm. Christ's incarnation demonstrates to us that God is interested in flesh. God could have redeemed all of humanity without incarnation.
1: Mm. Because he's God. Because he's God. Yes. yes.
2: Since he chose incarnation, that suggests that there's a redemptive element even to our flesh, and that we're reading Paul through Augustinian lenses. Augustine has some real challenges when you read Augustine Confessions, Mm. and most of us learn Paul through Augustine. Mm -hmm. And thus we see flesh in a negative light and we don't recognize that Christ brings us back to full humanity. Part of the salvific work of Christ is to bring us back to full humanity. And to press my claim further on that, when the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, the, 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 the Luke uh, pens for us that the Spirit came. Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He quotes Joel, mm-hmm. prophecy again. Mm-hmm. And in the last days I will pour out of
1: my spirit Oh yeah, Baba On all, 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 all flesh. All flesh.
2: There's a redemption of the flesh.
1: You know what? Hold on. I I, I gotta have a moment here. Let, let, let's get that a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, Hallelujah. Uh, it, it, well, hold on. Let, let me just get up. Uh, uh, um, uh, Prophet Joshua, what you think about this? My son, Prophet Joshua, is on the set here. Pastor Prophet, this is powerful. My God, my God. Oh! Jesus. Great. Day in the morning. This is about to be something else. Prophet Stephen Brown, what do you think about this? Uh, Prophet Stephen has stepped off Master Prophet, uh, but uh, 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 Apostle Alexander Gray is here with us as well. All right. God bless you. What do you think about this, uh, Prophet Alexander Gray? Master Prophet, it is something to make you go, mm. it's a good thought, good information, and it's challenging, Master Prophet. Yes. You know, when, when, when we're thinking about this, and you bringing out something now about how Christ comes and pours out his spirit, we, we're seeing the pneuma, you know, so then we, now you get into uh, the doctrine of pneumatology, sure. the doctrine of the Holy Spirit looking at the Holy Spirit as um, a redemptive aspect that you know, you hear we've preached in Pentecost well in churches I went to in the culture I was in raised up in the faith. There's no good thing dwelling in the flesh, no good sure. thing dwells in the flesh, no good. And I never looked at that like that. You know, Paul through Augustine, and you're right, because Augustine was the one that pretty much gives us our philosophy. Yes. <laughs> man, yes. So you can yes. you see this is what I love about these kinds of conversations. Yes. Uh, yes, but yes. yet Dr. Howard Thurman's mother would not read anything from Paul. Exactly right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because she just didn't like the way the, position, the thing was positioned about slaves. As oh, a yeah. exactly. Right. exactly. You know, but exactly. isn't that powerful? How you can your philosophy can begin to shape the lens and how the scripture opens up to you. And I
2: think that that's an appropriate hermeneutic in that. What, when we're, what we're taught in classical hermeneutics out of the German school, the modernist school, is this idea of Hegelian dialect, this mm. idea of, of thesis, uh, uh, syn- uh, antithesis, and synthesis. We're taught this Valhausian historical criticism, mm. and so we, we, we d- deconstruct the text as opposed to a more Pentecostal, constructive narrative, mm. whereby we approach the text from what we call reader response criticism. For those of your streaming, uh, or your podcast audience that need the good good German terminology. We call it Frikungsgeschichte. It's the, the history of effects.
1: <laughs> hold on a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on a minute. Wait oh, a minute. On a minute. Uh, wait, I'm going to just make sure my son is still there. Joshua, are you there taking notes? I'm taking notes, Master Prophet. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, this is why we got to get you to go ahead and do, get your um, master's of theology, what you're going to do before you start your PhD. Amen. So um, you can take people like Bishop Alvarado and empty his mind out. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's a short it's journey. Empty. It's a short journey to do that. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> not like a lifetime to me. Yes. So, so you wait, You said the history of what? The history of effects. See, there are
2: three horizons with which we read the text. The world in front of the text, mm-hmm. the world of the text, the text, and the world behind, behind the, the text. text. Yes, right. Pentecostals tend to read from the world in front of the text, yes. meaning it's a reader response criticism. And so when Howard Thurman's mother reads the Pauline epistles and reads texts of terror, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a reaction to her lived experience that precludes her from being able to understand Paul in the way that Paul has dogmatically been superimposed on her life. Mm -hmm. I'm going somewhere with this. This is an important skill for Pentecostal hermits to embrace because if we're going to manage the complexities of the 21st century, and if one of those complexities, as Bishop Flunder has helped us to see, is human sexuality, perhaps we're going to have to step out of the world behind the text Mm -hmm. and out of the world of the text, Mm -hmm. into the world in front of the text and read texts on human sexuality through different lenses.
1: Yes. That's a hand clap. That's yes. a hand clap. clap.
2: Because here's the thing. Our young people are emptying our churches because we have not adequately dealt yes. with the things that their friends are settled on. Yes. They wow. have gay friends. Yes. And they're settled. And they're settled. So, they're complete They complete, yeah. And that many of them, <laughs> Love the Lord. Mm-hmm. True. And we have kept them okay. at great lengths and distances from the house of God yes. because our 19th and 20th century dogmas yeah. are not sufficient for their 21st century complexities.
1: And, you know, my wife and I, looked. Uh, she watched a whole episode of Pose, which allowed me to see a different lens, see see the world through a different lens. That was that there was a part when I came in about the whole aid thing, and they went into St. Patrick Cathedral, and they laid in the aisles, you know, locking arms with each other. Sure. And it was an area of protest because they were not getting medicine to the people. They had the cure or the support system, but it was denied to the black and brown or the poor. Sure. And how the church was somewhat absent from that kind of conversation. Silent. Silent. And it was really an invitation for us to minister to that community to a group that has been forgotten and we made um, it's just something that when you look at it, I came through that area as a long, young preacher, mm-hmm. but very unaware of the politics. And and the more I read this Bible, I realize that this Bible is very political. Absolutely.
2: Every time you see things like "and this happened in the days of Caesar," it's yes. a political statement. This is letting us know what the the, the, the psychosocial disposition of the people were at the time and who was in charge and what the political ramifications of these actions were. Um, I think it's uh, uh, Amos Young, one of my my theological mentors in my Ph.D. program, uh, 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 wrote a book uh, in the days of Caesar. and It's a a Pentecostal political theology. um, As um, Amos Young at Y-O-N-G and and, uh, my mentor, Dr. Estrella Alexander, uh, uh, wrote, wrote one of our newest publications on William Seymour Press. is called The Will to Power, and it talks about these political implications of our, our, our pseudo or so-called spiritual approaches to God and our reading of the text and our outworking of the church. But I think these are important because when you and I reflect on our history and growing up in the ways that we came, the church has oftentimes been disengaged from some of the controversial matters, missing out, as you have said, on an opportunity to minister, mm-hmm. yes, but also yes. missing out on an opportunity to learn. Yeah, Because the challenge is, is that as an Afro-Hispanic Pentecostal, I push back against the superimposition of my white evangelical brethren on Christians that says, every time you show up at the table, you are there to instruct. Mm. That's the problem. Wow. You know... <laughs> wow. Wow. The problem is is that we have not oftentimes come to the table
1: to learn. You know what? And now that you said that and put that in language, I never thought to say that. But now that you put that in words, I see that that is what happens 99% of the time. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and that's why when I go to watch certain movies... And I'll look at a movie. Um, I was looking at a movie recently. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the picture. And it's a, it was a black movie. They put. I says, okay. I says, this white woman here is evidently going to be the handler. And and the person that was watching it with me said, Bishop. I said, I said, watch. Just watch the movie because usually the movie always have whenever there's a black situation or conflict that we're working with, there's a white handler. Absolutely. And it's almost like unless you have a white hand to lead you in today's culture, you are exempt or it is not legit.
2: I grew up on sitcoms like Webster. Mm -hmm. Different strokes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I grew up watching movies like The Blind Side, Mm -hmm. where there's always a white savior. A savior, yep. Takes in a black or brown person and and brings them to some redemptive reality. Yes. Oriented with a self-hatred pathology. Ah. Which is why people, I've said it, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily (laughs) reflect staff and management of Bernard (laughs) (laughs) Jordan.
0: I love it. I say it
2: on my my stream, I say it on my broadcast. The challenge is this, um, we will fill up churches with white leadership. Yes. We will give faithfully, Mm -hmm. support every initiative. Every initiative. And there's no cultural sensitivity, no connectedness as a matter of fact. As a pastor in this city, I've had to dedicate babies, marry people that belong to larger churches led by a white person, I'm talking mm-hmm. about minority people, black mm-hmm. and brown people, mm-hmm. but their pastors won't, don't do baby mm-hmm.
1: dedications you or their see. pastors you, you don't do, so,
2: so, so we end up still pastoring the community Yes. because when they need us, they come to us.
1: Right, but they take their ties down they to take the white handler. ties
2: down the street to the handler.
1: To the handler.
2: <laughs> Jesus. Well, you know. And then when they need a representative voice to advance their position of power, mm-hmm. Louis Giglio, they bring Lecrae in mm-hmm. and interview him from a position of strength
1: yes. and change a uh, uh, white privilege to white blessing. You know, not, OK. Jesus. You know, this is really powerful. You know, that's almost like, you know, like I said earlier um, today to someone is that, you know, and that's, you know, square watermelons. Is mm. um, If you Google square watermelons, mm. Dr. Kenny had us in the class, and I said, square watermelons. So I went, he had us says, you know, Google square watermelons. So I never heard of a square. Square watermelon. Square watermelon. Watermelon. And square watermelons was something that the Asians was doing, and you can see pictures right now. If I could get someone to put the link in the chat room here for those that's watching on Verbella, um, a picture of square watermelons, and I'll see if I can get it up over here. You'll begin to see that there is something very unique about square watermelons. Because we know watermelons are naturally round. Look at this, all these square watermelons, right? Mm -hmm. So we begin to see the square watermelons. So what they found out is that square watermelons, they were making watermelon square that was grown into the shape of a cube. Mm -hmm. Cube watermelons are common in places like Japan, Hmm. square watermelons. Also, square watermelons are quite expensive. And a square watermelon can cost up to $200. Per one, per per watermelon. watermelon. And the high prices are constantly growing because the watermelon has been through a process where watermelons are squared. Now, give me a moment. I'm going somewhere with this. And what has happened is... Is that there are many individuals that have become squared
0: Negroes. Hmm.
1: And they take hmm. these Negroes that's been squared and put them in positions of power yes, that sir. keep coming back to the community, right. Right? right, and speaking from the hand of our white handler. You know, the tree spoke to the other trees when the axe came into the forest and say the handle there used to be one of us. So when you begin to understand it, there are many of us that were in certain systems that was designed to square us. That's exactly right. That's and exactly it made right. us expensive. That's exactly right. It made us too high-priced to go into our own community but kept us in certain communities that we were only speaking and we were only accepting you if you were willing to lose your natural state That's right. That's right. and become a square That's exactly right. watermelon. But, you
0: know, also um, what is interesting in the square watermelon, um, people that purchase these square watermelons, they don't really purchase them to eat them, to partake of the life sustenance that it has, but they purchase these square watermelons for decoration. Whoa! It's for Whoa. look.
2: Whoa! And
0: not to oh, I want a watermelon. I want to taste this. I want to eat this. But it just basically for look. So you just got it up there on the on the on the mantle, just for show.
2: There's no intrinsic internal uh, value. <laughs> no. no nutritional it's, it's value. It's, it's just show. for show. It's to show what I have. This is my right.
0: possession. Look at me. Yes.
2: And when- I can't wait. I'm to not say, like
0: the others. I'm different.
2: Oh my! And thus, think... I'm accepted by my hand. Yes.
1: yes. I can't wait until I hear Bishop here preach a message. That will include square watermelon. Oh knowledge. man!
0: Listen, <laughs> listen,
1: it's gonna be
2: preached. I'm gonna give you credit the first time. Too. <laughs> the first time I preach
1: it, I'm gonna say like Bishop Bernard Jordan says. Yeah, and 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 I got this from Dr. Kinney. And so when Dr. John Kinney came into the class talking to us one day about square watermelon, it began to make me look at my process to begin to see. Did my call story come out of the part of me that is unique and wonderfully vague? I mean, listen, you're already
2: crossing the line of what I'm finding we're woefully inadequate in, and that is articulating a call narrative. Mm. How was I... I can't tell you the number of people that we're preparing for consecration or have, have set in as elders and have gone through boards of examination that if you ask a basic question, articulate to me your call narrative. How do you know that you have been called? What is it that's a part of your story? Because Pentecostalism is a narrative theological journey. It's
0: about story.
2: Mm. It's about how our narrative fits into the broader meta-narrative of the story. Mm. And if you never examine your own story for acceptability, for access, for opportunity, you'll adopt and adapt someone else's story claim it as your own Mm. and become a square watermelon on somebody's trophy
1: shelf. You know what? (laughs) Rebecha. We're talking to Bishop Jonathan Alvarado, for those of you that might be just watching this on, oh my goodness, on Instagram or YouTube. And we just just popped in. This was nothing that was really planned. We just popped you know just popped in.
2: Uh, just, I sat down next to the bishop and said, Okay, what's the topic tonight? He said, Oh, we're just gonna talk.
1: Just gonna talk. <laughs> two men with two men with their Bibles closed talking. You know. And we need to have more conversations like this because yeah, we are really confronted with yeah. um, with a lot of different things. I, I know in New York. They have now made it legal where you can change your gender on your birth certificate. Sure. Sure. So.
2: Yeah, that whole area. You see, this is going to (laughs) be. One of the things I did um, most recently, uh, Global Pentecostal Perspectives is my live stream. It's, it's uh, archived on YouTube, on Facebook. I'll tell the people how to get that. It, gl- global Pentecostal Perspectives. If you look up Global Pentecostal Perspectives, just put it in the, in the uh, search engine on YouTube. All of our episodes will come up. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, the last two Saturday nights, we've been talking about growth opportunities. And the very first for Pentecostals. For the future of Pentecostalism, What are some areas where we need to grow? And one of the areas that we need to grow is in the area of theological Mm self-identification. Because Pentecostalism has been co-opted by fundamentalism and evangelicalism, which I stridently reject as a Pentecostal. But when you mention this idea of transitioning in identification or identity, I think that one of the reasons that 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 this uh, is now legal and there's even a concern or question is because there is no process or understanding of what our theological and perhaps even anthropological self-identity mm. is. And so if you don't understand who you are and never grapple with the necessary processes of becoming who you will be you'll always accept someone else's definitions of who you are or who you should be and since most of us are deficit in terms of a sense of self a sense of self-worth a sense of and since we bought into a 19th century narrative that in my flesh dwelt no good Was thing, no. And i wasn't worthy of salvation and i wasn't worthy, so we bought into this kind of self-hatred pathology that we then accept the negative
1: narratives
2: or we grapple for the rest of our lives trying to discover who am
1: i who am i it's the
2: ultimate question of life
1: yeah and you know and this goes back to my name is is your name toby come on Okunta. come on it's, ah. it's, it's a theology of self identification sure. which is really A theology that would bring about empowerment absolutely to the self. And then who is dictating to us that we cannot be that which I self-identify with. I know for a season I wore dreadlocks and I had to look at the number of people in churches that could not have me. And then the Lord happened to position me, I believe it was the Lord, to put me on television, national TV, with dreadlocks on. And I was one of the first dreadlock preachers during that time to be wearing dreadlocks in the year 2000, 2001, when I started locking my hair. And then I would come there, and it really confused people. when I put on my bishop's attire. Uh, you know, people wanted to quote scriptures and stuff like that. A man should not be, you know, have long hair. You know, it was just very interesting. Curious. But thing, it right? was a—yeah, but you know what it did for me? It freed me because it gave me a sense of self that you didn't dress me. Mm. It also allowed me at that season— to be who I was, and then I wore that until about 2012, 2011, when I when I, was, I was decided to take it all off, and it was a it was a freeing for me to know that I could do it, I could understand it, I could be natural, and I think it, without having the language of it, it allowed me to say, I'm not going to be a Squidward. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think that part of
2: the journey of life and the thing that I believe Spirit baptism and the infilling of the Spirit does is it helps us to rediscover our true selves. It brings us back into our created essence. The Spirit nurtures us into a full awareness of all of our potentials in God, and the Spirit then repels if we embrace fully all the Spirit is doing in us. And this is why, I mean, I wouldn't want to tutor the Master Prophet in that, but this is why prophecy and prophetic ministry is so important Mm -hmm. because oftentimes it speaks to and activates that which circumstance, life, people, trusted friends have painted over and people have lost touch with who God actually created them to be. And prophecy brings them out says, no, 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 no. You've accepted an identity that is not yours. You've accepted a role that is not yours. If you're willing and courageous enough to be able to walk out of all these social descriptions and live fully into the spirit baptism with which the Holy Ghost has baptized you, you will be able to fully express the God call that's on your life.
1: You know, and 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 we're beginning to see that, and this generation is taking it on further. Yeah. And and my child, my grandchildren are having conversations I would never have thought to have. Absolutely. I mean, what they're getting in school education, um, having to, I was at a a theological function, and I had an amygdala hijack of the brain when they asked me. Um, which uh, noun or pronoun, rather, would you like to be called? Sure. And I had, to, and um, and I, and, and, and what are your pronouns? So I, yeah. I was there and I was like really making, I said, tell me you're kidding. And they were saying, uh, they said, your grace, just choose a pronoun. <laughs> I said <laughs> <laughs> and these are so the, the complexities right. and I, of the 21st century. And I was like, and I was the one that was being the unprofessional one. They were really being professional. They says, well, you can circle either he, she, they, them. You know, they had a they had a whole list. And at that moment, I got, I said, I commend you for your professionalism. And I began thinking, I says, does this mean that a day is coming in my church that we won't be able to just say brother and right. sister, right. brother Jordan, sister Jordan, mm-hmm. but a person says, I identify with neither. Right, right. I mean, I was a part of a community where we had a person that we couldn't call them. He or she, they would call self. Mm-hmm. So whenever we got ready to say, um, um, so it got to the place that they, in the, they, we just called themself, and they began to strip themselves of their name. Mm-hmm. They said, "I don't identify as a prophet, this person," that they were neither did not identify as male, nor yeah. female, and that was again something that's taken the brain. And, it. and so, we as clergy today, how do we begin to address this? Our children are going to school learning right. this, and we have professional people that are psychotherapists, right. mental health counselors, social workers that are already in the field of that. With and now, but they come back into this institution that's operating in 19th century, 20th century dogmas. And they're in a 21st century world. It's going to be hard to sit there under that type of pastor. And they're at risk of having their children sit into that community saying this is the truth. And then going back into a world that is expressing another aspect of truth.
2: And and for me, I think that it's um, the the Niberian answer, Reinhold Niebuhr
1: uh, addresses,
2: the, the presence of Christ within the society. In in some dimensions, it's Christ in culture. Christ was totally enculturated to the degree that they had to kiss him to identify. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then there's Christ against culture. It's another dimension of Christ within the context of the society. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, there's Christ above culture. Mm -hmm. And so when we're confronted with these matters, I think that we need to approach it from... The standpoint, how is Christ seen in this cultural milieu? How is Christ against or for these cultural axioms? And how is Christ above all of this, that we aspire to that? that. But And so, I say that to say that should be, in my estimation, a framework or could be a framework with which we approach these complexities. But the other thing about it is, is that we have to enter in with the willingness to take seriously their uh, social self identification. The minute that we say, No, you're a Him, I'm gonna call you a Him because you was born a Him, and yes. that, that we've lost that. Yes, yeah. true. We've abrogated so the conversation. Yeah. And without the conversation, Isaiah says, Come, let us reason together, though your sins be a scholar. There's
1: yes. not gonna be any washing away of sin until we can have the conversation. It must be a conversation. And then Paul says, I become as them. So that I can win. That I can win. That I can win yeah, them, yeah, yeah. and are we willing to become as to win? I mean, which 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 would change our whole approach of how we enter into conversation, dialogue, sure. and into this whole world. Well, he uh, it "Okay, we're gonna just. We, we know some of you, you. You got to get ready and go to bed. And <laughs> if your if your brain's been fried like mine is just now, you are probably <laughs> out of <laughs> space right now." You "Okay, now Bishop, you've definitely created an argument in my seat because many people are going to work in these kinds of environments, and this is the world that we're now looking at. And I think the is it." In California, they have the first transgender that may be running. I'm not sure. I think Caitlin Jenner will be running. And um, mm. this will be this. Now, now, we begin to think about this. If, if there is a God, then why would God allow this at this time and allow it to get to this place? Unless it's another thing that we've got to work through. And process through. Remember, it was not too long ago that it was taught that black people, Africans, didn't have souls. True, sure. sure. right? Absolutely. And then when I was listening to Doctor uh, Alicia, she was dealing with some things. And in some places, we were not allowed to dance. And so when we began to start looking at what happened on the plantation, and so many things that we were we were not allowed to marry but oh, yeah. right. so that meant that you own property. So you, so you looked at so many things, and yet they had a Bible that somewhat affirmed that. Well, no, no, they weaponized the Bible to be yes, able to support did. that position.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the whole idea of, of, of the social conditioning of Africans in America uh, through the Christian scriptures is part of the the real shameful part of our history that some of our white brethren will acknowledge but will not actively do anything to reverse what was perpetrated upon us for for almost 400 years now. So that's an important consideration. But when you you say that God allowed the Wesleyan synergistic uh, uh, Pentecostal in me resists the idea of God's allowance of a thing, Mm -hmm. as as opposed to our co-participation in life. It it seems to me that from the beginning of creation, God always partnered with something or someone. Wow. When I read the text and when I see creation, there's always partnership between the divine and the corporeal. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so... To say that God allowed it means that God could have stopped it, which to me mm-hmm. smacks too much of Calvinism, too much of God's kind of uh, predestined kind of you know. It makes God a moral yeah. monster. I
1: got, in my mind. I got you. I got you.
2: Um, Because then, if God could have, it, have stopped watching. it and right. didn't, mm-hmm. then this this ultimate theodicy of asking why does good thing do bad things happen to good people? Yeah. Why did He allow all of this when He could have done something about it? So that's a theological approach that helps me to be able to to palate God.
1: Yeah. So
2: I say that to, to you to say that, and for the, the, the benefit of the audience to say that some of what we're having to embrace and the necessity for your encouragement and mine of, of others going back and sharpening our tools and developing the skills, both intellectually, spiritually, and in maturity, to be able to manage the complexities of 21st century ministry is because God has given us a particular place in the cosmos to be able to partner with God in co-creational effort through performative speech and action Mm. to bring about the will, the purpose, the plan of God in the earth. And prophecy is one of the main examples that when God gives a word to a man or woman, it does not come to pass until that man or woman partners with God Mm. and utters it into the earth. Mm. And that becomes the germinal seed to bring about the will, the purpose, the plan, the intent of God. And God has trusted us enough yes. to not supersede us where that's concerned and allow us to partner in synergistic
1: effort with God. Wow. Okay, this is Rich. Tell the people how they can follow you and so they can get... Listen, go listen to all of his podcasts. It's like it's like taking a, uh, a degree class. Well, you are, you're <laughs> part of the degree program <laughs> yeah, listen, you've been listen. on there with me. Yeah, <laughs> but, 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 but we, love you. we love that you share this with your community. And you're always bringing it back. And so we want you to go and follow him. So tell the people how they can follow you.
2: Uh, JonathanAlvarado.com, J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N, Alvarado is A-L-V-A-R-A-D-O.com is my website. Global Pentecostal Perspectives is our live stream podcast that's up on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and the like. Grace Church International uh, is the church where we pastor. And, of course, uh, our website there, our archive videos there, and on our YouTube uh, channel there. And so uh, that's, that's the predominant ways where I can be contacted and reached. And, uh, and uh, I don't know how they, they, oh, no, they can't. They have to enroll for proper college or university. Because I lectured in one session in Public yeah. College University, and so, uh, but that's a uh, that's a uh, that's a uh, they need to register.
1: Come to the but school. That, yes, but the but the podcasts are all free. Okay, and we do have you up on the podcast channel, and they can get you. And but we, uh, I'm, just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just glad to know you. We go way back. Sure, sure. Maybe thirty years. It's been a long time. We have transgenerational relationship. You. We're in relationship with my father. Yeah, but, Bishop Lafayette Scales. Yeah, that goes back into the early '90s, perhaps mid '80s. I don't. I'm not sure. I started ministry in 1983, so I started traveling across the country around about '88. Um,
2: you had a strong Pan African message.
1: Yeah. You came to Raymond Christian Center in Columbus, Ohio. Yes, and that had to be at the end of 80s. It had to be. Or early 90s. And
2: I don't want to say that. I'm not trying to be funny. I was a teenager. I'm just trying to say I was a teenager <laughs> then, so I remember.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm only
2: 62 now. And, and you know, and, and, and I'm not. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so you... Uh, Wow, we've been out here for a minute. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. This is my forty-third year of preaching. I started preaching when I was twelve.
0: God be the glory. I
2: was licensed to preach when I was twelve years old. And how did you end up in Ohio? I was raised in Ohio. How I ended up in Good. Atlanta was Morehouse College. I came to Morehouse Whoa. to study music and uh, took a took my bachelor's degree at Morehouse, and then remained in the city, planted a church after I graduated.
1: Wow. Yeah, and that's the college my son went to. They Absolutely. did such a great job. They did a great job in preparing him. I mean, they they're about um, they are about education there. I, I knew they were really serious when um he was graduating with a degree in uh with theology major and they made him take a full year of calculus. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm like yeah what preacher's going to use calculus you got exactly. some way some way it's going to come back to
2: him. he's the <laughs> full man for knowing calculus <laughs> philosophy <laughs> and religion okay. and music exactly we have to take aquatics you can't, you got you have to be able to swim to graduate marks. Whoa. Wow. what you have to you... because you know what the majority of drowning deaths are african american no, african american stop it that is true
0: that's true that's true
2: you have to be
1: able to swim to graduate You don't more.
0: swim. You don't know how to. Yep. Whoa.
1: Yeah. Whoa. Who would? That's OK. That's there, another hell of a shot uh, uh, And Joshua can oh. swim.
0: Yes, as a
1: child. Our children swim better than the parents. That is true. <laughs> Has the yes, as well. yes. They, they have, and the grandchildren like fish in the water. I'm grand, they just jump <laughs> off the diving board. And just, they play out in the deep part of the water, and we just yell at them and, from and afar watch. and watch them <laughs> and enjoy them. Partly because they've been raised in an atmosphere where there's no fear. Yes, and they were given instruction on how to dive and not just fall. Come on, come on. See, Come when on. you're diving, Come on. you are instructed. Yeah. But when you're falling, you're going without a manual. Come on. All right. That's a lesson on pastoral ministry. But you know, when we started out in ministry, we started out falling.
2: They thought that, was. That was the, they thought that that was the entree
1: to ministry. Yes. To yes. the, the, the self-destruct, uh, it figure it out. But we're learning. But that's but that's the way we was pushed out there. You know, sure. when I think about what I had to go through to learn the prophetic, it took me a minute to get a manual together to tell. Yeah. There was no school of prophets. Right. I was looking for one. Right. But there right. was no place. They, I went to Manhattan Bible Institute at 16 years old. There was a teacher's training class. There was a class on evangelism, right. pastoral training. I said, where's the training for the prophet? I said, I had a dream. I was going to be a prophet. They said, take evangelism. I'm looking for... And I I had to begin to start to construct something that would be somewhat of a school of profits. And, you know, just to bring some basic training of an understanding of this gift and how do I work. The ethics of my gift in a conversation, in a congregation, especially when it looks like I got to be rude and interrupt what's happening in the service in I order to bring another. I hear you. you. Know, when right. do I speak in tongues? Right. right. You know, how loud do I speak in tongues? When do I get maybe I'm speaking in tongues at the wrong time? Maybe that, you know, do I do it in the middle of the sermon before the preacher get up? Do I wait for a break after the choir? You know, there was no manual on that.
2: And, and and in a very real way, it's it has to do with the theological underpinnings of the contemporary church that black people have assimilated into our own. It is a cessationist view that says that prophecy was for that time, but is not for today. today you're right. That's a theological position. Yeah. And until we theologically self-identify mm-hmm. as those who despise not prophesying, then we'll never... Uh, 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 bring that more fruition of those, that gift and others into the body of Christ, into the contemporary society. And you know better than most, the contemporary church is suffering for a lack of prophetic voice sure. in the midst of us.
0: Sure.
1: I'm gonna ask you one question. Um, I think I should make this start, make this part of all of my podcast. So, what are you reading now, or oh, what is the last thing that, that you read? <laughs>
2: I'm reading. Um, I just finished, uh, and I, I encourage everybody. Um, I'm reading. I just finished Enthea Butler's new book on evangelicalism, the immorality of evangelicalism, American evangelicalism. She's gonna be on. Uh, Global Pentecostal perspectives on the 29th of August. We're going to be talking about her book. I've
1: just and what's her name? her name? Uh,
2: Anthea A N T H E A Anthea Butler B U T L E R. I just finished Amos Young's book on uh, uh, theological spiritual formation, something along that wise. He, Amos has written 47 books, oh. and so I'm I'm in trouble when I start calling them. He edited another book on vocation. Missiology and something else with he and Velimari and I just began that book, um, but my my big research project right now. <laughs> How
1: many books you read a year? <laughs> no mind playing with you. Go ahead. <laughs> I've, got, I've got about forty. Books,
2: about it. forty books right now. That I'm working on a project. I'm writing. Um, my publisher called and asked if I would write a book on Afro Pentecostalism, theological perspectives on Afro Pentecostalism, because nothing exists. And so I'm I'm looking now historically at four figures: C.H. Mason, uh, uh, G.E. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, G.T. Haywood, Garfield T. Haywood, um, Robert Clarence Lawson, and um, and uh, uh, Johnson. Okay. And I'm looking at the, the the beginnings of Afro-Pentecostal Episcopacy, and then I'll take that through J.D. Ellis, who Ooh. was really the linchpin connecting an old Afro-Pentecostal Episcopacy yeah. into a more Anglican style. And then some of the contemporary work, and I'm I'm doing a doing a, doing a book to just ex- to talk about the different theological perspectives that exist in African pentecostal So that's that's what I'm reading and doing right now. But the Greater Atlanta Theological Seminary, in partnership with Global Pentecostal Perspectives Podcast, is uh, putting on on August 21st and 22nd a symposium on Pentecostal spiritual formation, where my wife, Dr. Tony Alvarado. Dr. James Bowers of Virginia Bible College and myself will facilitate a two-day symposium that will get one continuing education unit five hours on Friday, five hours on Saturday, August 21st and 22nd. If they go to my website, JonathanAlvarado.com, or if they go to GATSeminary.org, they can register for that that symposium for the ridiculously low price of $79 for a two-day symposium with three, uh, in my estimation, of leading Pentecostal minds in
1: spiritual formation. All right. Well let's give um, Bishop Jonathan Alvarado a hand. Thank you so much for coming. We're going to go off with this podcast and we'll go to a song and we'll be coming right back to our live streaming audience.
0: To keep in touch with Master Prophet E. Bernard Jordan, go to www.bishopjordan.com and follow him on all social media platforms. To get more information about the Prophecology Conference and or more special events, go to www.zoeministries.com or call 888-831-0434. Thank you and stay blessed.